Hey, everybody. Absolutely stunning news over here this week. We have a video version of this week's episode available on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash late night. Go over there, sign up at any tier, and you'll have access to it. Once again, that's patreon.com slash late night. Now, enjoy the show. I want to hear how you two know each other. What's the connection here? We met at Crunchyroll Expo. Yeah, I believe so. Like 2018, 2019? No, 2018. And that's about 30 years ago, right? That feels like yeah, at this point. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. A friend, Alex Gross, was like, hey, do you oh, want yeah. to come to the Winchester house? For those of you who listening who don't know what that is, it's a really spooky house that the <laughs> the owner of the house kept adding secret rooms and all sorts of things. Apparently they made a movie because I don't know if you remember this, but while we were there, yeah, yeah. we couldn't access the whole thing. Cause they were like, Oh, they're filming some movie here. I, I have no idea huh. if it was any good. We also like couldn't take pictures of the inside because like the, studio bought the rights to the inside of the house. Really? Yeah. Which was, oh, weird. Yeah. was unfortunate. Which was a bummer. Because it was a really cool, cool house. But yeah, we met that way. Uh, it was really fun going through there. And yeah. And then I had to do the completely humiliating thing where you're like, hey, do you want to come on my podcast? So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you're here. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. My pleasure. I was going to say, I've wanted to go to that place forever. I've never been. It's in like, Bay Area, like San Jose or something, is that right? San Jose, uh, yeah. Yeah, I totally remember where I was. It's <laughs> <laughs> particular, but sounds right, yeah. But yeah, it's absolutely worth going to. It's not spooky. It's just kind of like beautiful. Like so much mm. of the stuff in there, they have like hand-painted wallpaper and like the most expensive stained glass window you've ever seen. Like it's not mm-hmm. spooky. It's just like, damn, this place is yeah. nice. But it's eccentric too. You know what I mean? Yeah. I remember seeing the pictures of like, it's like stairs to nowhere or real tiny doors and that kind of shit, right? Yeah. I remember it was always included in some sort of like Discovery Channel or History Channel specials where it would be like, the house with stairs to nowhere to escape ghosts. Mm. So seeing it as a kid, I was like, damn, that's fucked up. I would never go there. I had a book that I used to love in high school called The Ghostly Register the most haunted places mm. in America. And oh. it was like, you know, 30 or something uh, houses from around the country. And this was way up there. And they had, they had a bunch of pictures. And I remember just, I grew up in Jersey. And it was just like, oh, man, you don't never get out there. Like, who knows where this is? Actually, I wonder if that book is still, this would have been in like the early 90s. So I'm pretty sure it has been supplanted by the internet. Wow, here it is. The Ghostly Register by Arthur Myers. Look at this. Arthur Myers is a real name of a guy who writes a ghost book. Oh my God, this is it. Yeah, here, look. I don't know if you guys can see this. There's the cover. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that a noose on the cover? Yes, that is a noose. Haunted dwellings, active spirits, a journey to America's strangest landmarks. Wow. Well, now you got to get that book again and go to all of them, right? Yeah, totally. I guess that would be a bucket list, bunch of haunted places, a kick the bucket list. Oh, wow. You know what? It's so perfect. You feel like that's got to be a thing. Is that not a podcast already where someone <laughs> has gone through that? 
I mean, is that what the origin of bucket list is for before you kick the bucket? Yeah, totally. Yeah. But the idea of making it like specifically haunted sites, I mean, that's pretty good. So what, is that something you normally are into, like that kind of haunted house sort of stuff? Or was that a, a one-off with the Winchester? My wife is really into that stuff. For me, I'm a pretty <laughs> skeptical person. Yeah, same. I mean, I have a lot of friends who are very superstitious or like, oh, man, that's really haunted. I'm like, no, it's not, but it's cool. You know, I, I find it interesting, like, just to look at and like, you know, the history of it. But it's not something that I'm normally like, yeah, let's go find the haunted places. I'm that boring guy who's like, and this is not me trying to be like a stick in the mud. Like, I want to be like, <laughs> oh, scared, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but what ends up happening is I go with people who are way more scared than I am and they're <laughs> screaming and latching on and I'm like, oh yeah, that was pretty good. Like, but I'm not like, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm not easily phased. You're at a remove. Yeah. And I'm not even trying. I'm like, yeah, I want to feel what they feel. No, I, I feel the same way. Yeah, I want to believe. Yes. Mm. I do a bunch of stuff with the quote unquote skeptics movement and affiliated people. And I think of all the people I know, no one wants to believe more than a skeptic. You know, mm. like they, they really want aliens and ghosts and all that shit. Like, because how fucking cool would that be if it was right. true? Like, they're just not willing to accept it based on the evidence we currently have, which is to say literally none. Sure, right. So we've had uh, Jay from the Skeptics Guide to the Universe on the show before. And I don't know anyone. I mean, he's a, he's a close friend. I don't know anyone who wants to believe in aliens more than that guy. Like, mm. he wants to see a, an alien show up on his doorstep, but it's just not happening right now. Mm. There was an earlier era of the internet before everything just became um, worse, but where <laughs> you could you could see something that had like a little bit of the plausible deniability of like, is this some real caught on tape shit? And now like, there's none of that like actual sense of discovery and sort of like, it could be real. It's like, boom, mic in the shot, done. Yeah, this yeah, was yeah. for TikTok. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, are you guys... I don't know if you're too young for this, but were you watching Fox during the alien autopsy days? Like when they were goofing on it? No, like I think it was Fox. This had to be, I think it was like late 80s, early 90s, (laughs) but I don't know how much of it. I know you weren't alive, Layden, but uh, (laughs) you might have seen it. There used to be, you know, like real footage of an alien autopsy leaked. This is just around X-Files type time. Mm, so okay. maybe mid-ish 90s. And in the X-Files was, I think, in part a reaction to this. But there was a whole fucking thing about specifically alien autopsies. It's like leaked footage from a real alien autopsy. Mm. I don't know exactly when this came out, but I feel like it was a primetime hour on Fox <laughs> somewhere in the in the early 90s. Can we get them to go back to that? Just yeah. drop what you're doing. Alien autopsy, totally. Switch. Do literally anything else. The footage, I never saw it. I'm guessing the footage was not that compelling. I don't think mm. it really convinced anybody. No, yeah, so I'm, I'm the same with the skepticism. Like, I'm just kind of like, yeah, okay, well, I'd love to feel what you feel about yeah. this. But I'm, it's, it's very hard for me to suspend disbelief. It's not like a, oh, what an idiot. You believe in this. It's just like not where I am. I would love to feel literally anything. That would be great. It would be <laughs> yeah. tight as hell. Yeah. What's your background? So are, are you a science type person or, or what? <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> definitely not a science type person. You were talking about being more of a skeptical kind of person. So mm. I was asking more in that 
context. Like a lot of people with that mindset come from kind of a science, not, I don't want to say education, but just like interest. You know what I mean? Mm, I am skeptical, but it's not based on like, <laughs> because of my interest in science. Science was one of my worst subjects in school, uh -huh. actually. Hey. If I have to pick like a favorite subject, maybe like English classes, right? Like mm -hmm. when I was younger, I liked to write. I liked to read a lot. And then around like, I want to say high school, that's when I started getting interested in acting, you know, so yeah. always gravitated towards like writing or acting the arts more so. Yeah. And then, I mean, outside of academia, it was always just deeply entrenched in, I mean, as you can see behind me, just <laughs> nerdship, right? Just yeah, nerdship. Yeah. Games, anime, you know, everything that my parents were like, yeah, I'm sure he'll grow out of it. And uh, I did the exact opposite. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you turned it into a career. Yeah, Turned it into a career, essentially. Yeah, yeah, right. You showed them. Yeah. And they couldn't be prouder, but at first they were like, mm, okay, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But Yeah, did they go through that, is that a career phase for a while? That I think a lot of, uh, mm. you know, digital personalities or whatever parents go through where it's like, you sure that's a thing, bud? I think for them, they were just concerned about, they wanted to make sure I could survive. You know what I mean? For sure. But for sure. Um, yeah. they also know that I am like a pretty logical, reasonable person. So for the longest time, they had no idea I did any making steps, working towards trying to get into voiceover for years. Besides that, like in my day-to-day -day job, I was doing English as a second language uh, tutoring. Oh, cool. Uh, I was a private tutor for many, many years. And so I was doing that and making you know a living, but they were like, have you thought about a graduate school? I was like, fuck no, I don't want, inwardly I was like, I'm not going to fucking graduate school. Yeah, good move. I went to college, you know, got a bachelor's because I did understand, hey, if things don't work out, having a bachelor's degree can help. You know what I mean? For, For sure. jobs yeah. or whatever. And also I got a lot of great experience from college. I mean, I did a lot of, you know, audio stuff, video stuff, like because my major was, um, media arts and technology. So it was a lot of video production, audio production. So I, I actually got a lot of pretty crucial experience through that. People ask, oh, is college worth it? And then it's like, that's a really tricky question, but it's like, don't go to college just because if you have no idea and have no passion, I guess. Then it's a waste of time, yeah. It's just a waste of time and it's a huge waste of money, right? Yes, for sure. But if you can use it to find what you want to do and like glean and get as much out of it, basically suck them dry, you know, and get yeah. as much valuable on hands, you know, experience as you can. I lucked out in that. That was very helpful for me. It's an important point about college that I don't hear people say a lot. And was certainly the case for me, which is that, I mean, you can learn shit kind of anywhere, right? Fucking sure. yeah, watch yeah, a yeah. video, read a book, whatever. But where are you going to be that has potentially huge resources that mm -hmm. you can kind of just play with at whatever, 19 years old or something, mm -hmm. you know, there aren't too many places other than a college that are just going to let kids loose on equipment. You know, for me, when I was a junior and senior in college, I conducted a full symphony orchestra. Oh, wow. I was a music director. I rehearsed, I conducted it. And where the fuck would I do that at 20 years old, if right. not yeah. at a call? And it, it, this, is, this is a real formative thing for me as a musician, just as a person. But I love that point of it's like, get involved with stuff. Like the extracurriculars are like where it's at with college, for sure. Yeah. College is like the most expensive children's museum in the world. It's just mm. a much more expensive <laughs> version of like the little fake supermarket in Fireman's Pole. 
Right. So how long have you been posting stuff online? Like, what was your earliest experience with the internet? Ever? Like, yeah, you know what? I want to hear ever. What was your first experience with the internet? Because I think that's an interesting question. (laughs) How old are you, someone? 31. 31. Okay. So the internet, let's see. I'm trying to do some quick math here. It was not always around for you, just most of your life, right? The earliest internet, that would have been for me elementary school. That's, you know, dial up. Yep. Dial up for me was high school. Yeah. Right. So my YouTube channel, the oldest upload was 15 years ago. God damn. So that would have been 2006. I joined May wow. 2006. I didn't realize you were so early days in YouTube. Well, if you're talking about just literally posting on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was uh, posting like videos that we made in high school, which are still yeah. up. Uh, I've left some of them <laughs> up just for out of uh, uh, nostalgia. But that was the first time I ever posted. And then there was a period of just like, you know, every now and then putting up a video. But I think the big, when I started posting regularly online, that would have been, I want to say 2012. 2012, that was uh, Tumblr back when I uh, was posting uh, very regular. I don't know how familiar either of you are with sort of where I got to where I am, but uh it all started because um, after graduating from college, I had no idea what the fuck I was going to do. So I, But I knew I desperately wanted to be a voice actor. So I started a Tumblr and I started posting an audio post a day, literally every day. Oh, wow. I didn't stop for, I want to say, three, four years, like in a row. I, I'm talking holidays, everything, weekends. <laughs> I just had always had a post and that was just me desperately being, I don't know how to get to this impossible goal, but... All I know is I just got to start doing something. Was it stuff you were writing yourself or you would take stuff that was already out there or both? It was a combination. So like early days would be me taking dialogue from stuff that I liked, especially stuff that had no voices. You know, mm-hmm. I'm still a big Ace Attorney fan. So it was like, okay, take, mm-hmm. take a scene from Ace Attorney, but give it a voice or, oh, take this shit post, you know, voice it. <laughs> and then there was stuff yeah. like, hey, hey, can you just take a prompt? And I would write on my own and record everything and mm-hmm. do it. Uh, that was invaluable for me because basically it was like exponential improvement because I was shit, right? And then I like <laughs> didn't even know it, like how unprepared I was. And then just doing it literally every day for years was both the discipline of, you know, not missing a day, not missing. I'm that type of person where if I have a goal, I have to do it without stopping, it's that work ethic that is, mm. I was going to say more important than that, but it, let me say at least as important as talent, whatever, you know, you got to keep going for it. I say this frequently on, on the show, but I have a seven-year-old daughter mm-hmm. and like, I literally was just talking to her about this yesterday. The number one skill I want to teach her is resilience and perseverance. Mm. She was frustrated with something the other day and I was like, look, if something gets difficult, you have two options give up or keep trying. And if I can teach you anything, it's keep trying is usually the better option. I don't want to say always, because that's definitely not true. But generally speaking, if I think about the values I want to impart to my kid, it's like, go for it. Like, keep at it. Keep trying and you will get better. Even if you suck when you start, like you will get better. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll go as far as to say I think, you know, the people throw around talent and what will give you success is it, you know, innate talent. And I won't say talent is bullshit. <laughs> I think it's more that people have a knack for something, right? They might have a knack for it. Yeah. At an early age or something like that. But I think what is going to really ensure that you get better at something is, like you said, perseverance and hard work and also just passion for it, right? Uh-huh. Now, that doesn't mean I'm saying, hey, everyone, if you work hard, really, really hard, you'll achieve your right. dreams. That's bullshit. That's not true. That's absolute nonsense because it doesn't work that way. I was talking about this literally last night, actually, how you know a lot of people go, well, I'm not doing uh, my creative thing as my job. Does that mean I failed? And it's like, no, I think what's important is to try to make your life experience a net plus if you can and not put too much stake in one, whether it's career, you know what I mean? Like a lot of people I know, like they think they're going to be happy if their career is this or that. It's just not true. (laughs) It's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, one-way trip to misery. (laughs) Yeah, because there's always someone that has more. There's always someone who's doing it better at a higher level, more popular, whatever. Like, Or there's always the next show you can get or next role Mm -hmm. you can find. I think you can count on zero hands the number of people who hit a goal and were like, well, I'm done forever. Yes. Life accomplishments. Done. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't happen for like stuff that you're passionate about, like let's say creatively, there's a lot of merit in just doing it. I feel like during early pandemic days, you know, uh, when we were just stuck inside and going mad. One example, like a friend of mine came up with like this elaborate trivia, right? It was Mario themed trivia. And then Uh so we started all making our own, you know, really intricate trivia games that were themed and had mini games. And it was just for our friends. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not like, yeah, I'm going to get famous or make this a show. Like, Develop the app, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The sheer joy of, like, just making something and it was fun to make and then playing it with your friends. That is so valuable. Uh I get asked a lot, like, how do I become a voice actor? And there's 1,000 paths to becoming a voice actor, all different. Yeah. But I think what's important to realize is, because whenever I hear people say, like, just work hard and then you'll follow your dreams. Like, no. You have to... (laughs) Work hard despite the fact that there's no guarantee of success. That is what you have to do if you want to make it in the industry that I'm in. But what's important is even if you don't do it professionally, do it on your own. Doing it, I think, can also just be fun. Like I can have fun doing voiceover, just, you know, dicking around with friends or, you know, doing other things. The thing that, you know, sometimes I get, it's the same question, like, what if I'm not doing it for a job or like mm-hmm. in my case, usually music is what people are talking about. And the thing I try to drive home is that it doesn't make you less legitimate than someone who is doing it full time or someone who gets right. paid for it or whatever. My favorite example of this is there's a composer, Charles Ives, who was a late 19th, early 20th century American composer based in Connecticut. And this dude early on in his life, he was like, you know what I am? I'm a fucking insurance salesman. That's what Mm. I do. I sell insurance because I want to write some weird shit. And Mm. if I have to do this for a living, I can't write weird shit. Obviously, different time. This is, you know, 1890 or something. So he just wrote like the most out there stuff imaginable way ahead of his time, probably 30, 40 years ahead of his time in terms of where the music world was at. And then retired relatively early and then spent 
time revising his scores. Eventually, he wins a Pulitzer Prize for music for his fourth Mm. symphony, I think right before he dies in like the 50s. But I think there's a lot to be said for this philosophy of, you know what? I'm just going to make my money. I'm going to have a career and it's not going to be my artistic life. I have a day job and I don't need to love it. I sell insurance. I'm not passionate about it, but fuck it. It's a good living. And then I'm going to get home and I'm going to work on my insane, you know, project that I think is really cool. And then nobody can tell me what to do. And turns out in his case, he was writing the stuff that is now famous throughout the world. And, you know, he is looked on by many, including me, as a real inspiration. But a lot of this stuff, like, you know, no one really performed it during his lifetime. No one really cared about it. He was just doing his own thing. Going back to the college thing of like, if your job is not like your main passion, just suck it dry. Just get all the money and all of that and then use that (laughs) to fuel your passions and also just enjoy your life. Yeah, because you also don't want to like annihilate your relationship with yourself creatively because like I went to school to do sequential art. I wanted to make comics. I would have been so fucking miserable if I had stuck with that. Oh, as like a pro comics person, you mean? Yeah, it's not for me. And I still do a ton of like visual art stuff, but it's not even remotely my main thing. And it really helped me get over like during art school, I just was so down on drawing and hated it. And it got really stale for me. And that's what can happen if you keep like forcing it. And then I found other shit that I like doing better and that is way easier on me and my brain and life to not constantly be like, oh, anatomy perspective has got to be perfect uh, drawing. Like, I don't know, man, writing is a lot easier. <laughs> and it makes yeah. it so I can still enjoy drawing without it being like I'm tearing my teeth out of my skull. Yeah, I think that's great that you had that because I think a lot of people try to sort of define themselves like, well, this is my dream, right? If it turns out I don't want it, then what was the whole point, right? But right. Yeah. a lot of people I know, you know, went one direction, realized, oh, this is not what I thought it would be or wanted actually now that I'm doing it. Or they just fucking changed as a person and, you know, just as we all do as we grow older and priorities shifted, right? So I think it's great that you realize that because going further in that direction would just lead to inevitable burnout. I was curious, did you like take acting classes or study with an acting teacher or it's just by process of doing it for you? I have never taken a formal acting class. All of my experience has been through doing and I don't necessarily recommend that to people listening to this who aspire to get into acting. Although not every actor got formal training. No. I find it in a lot of situations I learn best by kind of getting thrown at the deep end and doing it. Yeah. I think I'm pretty good at just picking it up along the way. But yeah, I did acting for fun on my own, but also in college, I did do a lot of acting, not in acting classes, but if uh, in live directing, we need an actor. Yeah. People always chose me because, oh, yeah, he's funny. He can do it. And then I got a lot of experience that way in audio classes. A lot of the assignments were, you know, make your own radio play or we need someone to do the voice for this. You know, that for me was all direct hands on experience. Now, if I had taken classes, I probably could have gotten to where I'm at a lot faster, maybe. But there's still no guarantee of that. Right. Yeah. And with actors. Mark Maron talks about this a lot in his show. He's like, there are some actors for whom intellectualizing it will just crush it and mm. it, it'll, it'll ruin the vibe. Like some people just need to be 100% vibe and not think about it. And they're great. 
That's their mm. process. Other people need to say, okay, well, I'm going to take this from Stanislavski and I'm going to take this <laughs> from Stella Adler. Strasburg. <laughs> so there's some people who like, I think very consciously go through a part and say, okay, I'm using this technique and this technique and this technique and kind of map it out. And other people just show up and they're like, oh, okay, that's a script. Cool. Let's do it. And there's no right answer. And definitely the latter. People ask, how do you act? I don't know. Don't you just pretend you're just the, you really that, <laughs> isn't it just like a, we did it as kids, right? Just yeah, yeah. feel like you really are whatever you're trying to play. I think for me, it's just go with my gut on that sort of thing. And I'm sure like in the act of doing a voice and like maybe it's easier to do the acting part because you have already like put on the character via vocal cords. Mm. Jesus Christ. I'm sorry for that sentence. No, I, I, I know what you, exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah, like even just sort of hearing myself and doing the voice can get me more into character for sure. Yeah. What I needed to polish up on before I got into doing it professionally was like basically enunciation, you know, that can just be through just doing it over and over and over again, uh, working on your enunciation and that sort of thing. Oh, so you actually, you did, you worked on your enunciation like you, that's something you remember practicing? Just by doing it, you know what I mean? If you read things out loud and do things out loud every day for, you know, <laughs> four years, yeah, yeah. There's no way you won't get at least slightly better at it. Yeah. It was just for me just doing, doing, doing. Like, I remember when I was a kid, there were passages where I'm like, how can I do all this? It's so long without messing up. And, like, there are certain things I can't say exactly the way I want to say it. And it was just process of doing it, just grinding, level grinding. That's all it was, really. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. As, as somebody who can't do any voices, I imagine like a lot of it is sort of like the location in your throat, mouth, nose, wherever of like where that voice lives. Maybe I'm off base mm. here, but like, is it like, you know, where in your mouth a voice or tone is? Maybe. I have no idea. Great. Okay. <laughs> I think for some people, probably it is, right? Are there actors I know who are very technical, right? They're like, oh mm. yeah, you got to make sure the t tip of the tongue touches this and... I have no idea. For me, it's just... <laughs> just kind of happens. Yeah. So let me try it. Oh, okay. But that's interesting in itself because I wouldn't have thought that like people would have different approaches to like, oh, it just happens versus like I'm doing this very specifically. I want to come back to the Tumblr thing. So you were posting every day. Oh, yeah, How sure. long did it take for you to get like a following uh, on Tumblr? And I ask this to tie into the persistence thing where a lot of people will do, you know, posting every day or whatever. And then because people don't interact with it, they stop because mm. it's so common of like, well, I spend a lot of time on things and then nobody interacts. So what's the point? And it's like, ah, that's the worst thing you could do of getting yeah. into a feedback loop. Like you have to mm -hmm. be doing it for yourself, for the work, not I'm going to get notes, even yeah, though it's yeah, bonus, yeah. but like for that persistence to work, you can't rely on things coming in. So like, what was that? There's a fly and I don't want to knock over my coffee. <laughs> Answer question. I will stare at fly. I think there were like different benchmarks, but it's funny. I, the Tumblr was made purely as a personal project. I was like, no one will ever, ever listen to these except me mm -hmm. and like my friends. I was like, hey, guys, want to like follow my Tumblr? I'm just going to do like a creative <laughs> exercise every day. Like. Yeah. I think in the first post, it's like, nobody's going to like listen to these. But if you're here, that's what this is. 
that was not even on my mind, like getting a following, yeah. getting an audience. I was like, <laughs> anyway, all I know is I want to get good at voice acting. So this is just me practicing and like holding myself accountable. Right. Yeah. I would say early on, I got like a little bit of attention because I did a, this is kind of an interesting full circle sort of story where I did dubs of a, of characters in a comic, a web comic called Lackadaisy, uh, which is a really great comic. Was that the animals one? Prohibition cats. Yeah. Yes. Oh my yes. god. Oh, that I know takes that one. me yes. back. Yep. Holy shit! Like DeviantArt 2011. I was a huge <laughs> fan of it. And flash forward ten years, they're doing the short animated film, and I'm in it. <gasps> No way. Oh my God. That's awesome. That's and awesome. not only that, but because of the Tumblr stuff, because the creator back then was such a fan of the interpretations I had for, especially one of the characters, that 10 years later, out of the blue, I get an email going, hey, um, I don't know if you remember Blackadaisy, but the creator, <laughs> your voice is the headcanon for this character. Oh no way. Oh my God. At the time, it was really kind of her. She like shared some of my stuff, and that really kind of helped get people to see. But I thought she was just kind of being nice. Oh, you know, hey, some fans, a fan did this thing. But yeah, yeah. To hear, you know, ten years later, the creator of this thing, which I'm still a fan, thinks your voice for this character is the voice, and they were like, "We don't know if you'd be willing to do it." I was like, "Of course, I'm gonna fucking <laughs> do it." Uh, like it, it really felt like this crazy like full circle like wow but to answer your question i think things really started to take off i think on tumblr anyway maybe 2015 2016 so that would have been that would have been like three four years of just going you know what i mean just like (laughs) yeah doing it every day doing it every day i think i remember the one that like really took off it was one of those things where you know good success good success but I did a uh, cover of uh, uh, <laughs> Let It Go as Goofy, uh-huh. and it uh-huh. really took off. Oh, my God. I remember uh, that. <laughs> that would have been, I think, 2015, 2016. No, I, th- I think I have seen this, too, yeah. Yeah, peak Tumblr years. Peak Tumblr years. So I want to say three, four years until then. And then that led to maybe Vine and then YouTube after that. I think I quit And just started doing what I do now full-time 2016. And after that, I signed with an agent. I was doing voices before then, like independent stuff and here and there. But then 2017 was when like I made the move out here, got an agent, and really started getting busy with the voiceover stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, because you've been incredibly prolific in the past couple of years. Like, it's really impressive. I think the past four, five years, it's really taken up, which has been very fortunate but flashing back like you know i'm lying in bed you know staring at the ceiling with my wife just like is this ever gonna happen you know like i don't i don't know i don't i think this is just impossible (laughs) like to her credit she really was like no you're good i think you have the potential to do this just keep going at it and eventually through many many years of just persistence it worked out I was talking about my parents, you know, so they know I'm a very logical person. So they had no idea I was doing any of this Tumblr stuff. And then finally, one day after hearing maybe like, you should go to graduate school. I was like, okay, guys, I'm going to reveal all this to you. I was doing it secretly, basically. I'm like, okay. Uh, At this point, are you living at home? You have your own place. Are you married at this point? I'm living at home and I'm like, hey, 
just so you know, this is a thing. Or no, maybe I hadn't done professional stuff at that point, but I was just about to. And I was like, but I think there's momentum here. I think, one, I'm getting better at what I'm doing. I think I can do this. And if you want also just like actual numbers, (laughs) this is also going up. And so my mom was still like, yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, (laughs) You should think about it, you know, graduate school. But my dad, very surprisingly to me, asked me, is this something that 20 years from now, if you didn't try to do it, would you regret it? And if you Mm. 20 years from now, do you think you would still like enjoy this? And I said, yes. And then he said, then you should try. Then you should go for it. It's 100% it. I don't think you know my story, but I used to be a professor. I was a physics professor, and I'd been a career academic. And right, also in 2015, I left that to do YouTube music, that kind of stuff full time. And my main criterion for doing it was exactly like, A, the numbers are going in the right direction. So it wasn't like a crazy leap. It was the year I turned 40 that year and I had a newborn. So it was like, okay, maybe, you know, this isn't the time to take an insane chance. So it seemed plausible. But the main thing was if I don't do this now, this is a regret it for the rest of your life kind of deal. Like I can see myself in 10, 20, 30, whatever deathbed years looking back and been like, oh, fuck. Should have gone for it. Should have tried. You know Should what I mean? Should have done the and sex band. <laughs> I'd rather have tried and failed. Mm-hmm. That I can live with. Look, I moved to LA and we gave it a few years and then, fuck, it didn't work. Oh, well, that sucks. But at least I know. So much yeah. better than, oh, man, I wish I went for it. Yeah, exactly. People, you should try, right? And then if it doesn't yeah. work out, that's okay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can still do it for fun, but- yeah, for me, I, I had to try. You got to do it. It's also up to you then to set your own parameters. Like, how long can I deal with this? Can I live in a shitty apartment for <laughs> three, five, whatever it is, years while I'm making no money grinding? Or <laughs> right. is that not my vibe? Like, do I need a day job? You know, everyone gets to set their own parameters for what it means to try. Yes, yes. And some people have different, you know, lifestyle tolerances uh, in mm. terms of, what conditions they want to live in. But sure. yeah, you got to try. I, I couldn't agree more. You got to try. You have this full circle with lackadaisy, which so happy to hear that that's still a thing. And I, I, I can't it's wait amazing. to watch the movie because that rips. I haven't thought about that in so long. But mm. have you had other like really big holy shit moments with landing roles uh, since you started? Oh yeah. I mean, I'm such a big nerd that (laughs) there have been plenty of things. There was a post going around that a bunch of actors were doing. And this is going to sound like I'm really fucking full of myself. (laughs) (laughs) No, go for it, dude. Do it. I'm trying to not be. I'll allow myself a little pat on the back. But, you know, it was like four franchises that you really want to be in, right? And I was thinking through and I was like, I've actually, in one form or another, done a lot of the things that, like high school me was like maybe one day, right? Maybe one day that Mm -hmm. could be cool. So some examples would be like, I was a huge fan of like Borderlands 2, right? I listened to the voices and then I was like, oh man, something like this would be cool one day. And then flash forward, I'm one of the playable characters in Borderlands 3, right? That's a very, (laughs) that was a very sort of surreal. That's so cool. You know, I played the God of War games as a kid. 
and loved them and then thought, oh man, like something like this, if anything close to this. And then flash forward, like not only to be in the new God of War, but also to have helped write for it and do motion capture, you know. It's so cool, yeah. That's amazing. I never would have thought any of that was ever going to happen in a million, billion, kajillion years. Like, I was fully prepared to be like, you know, I don't know if I'll ever get there, but anytime I get to do the job, I consider it like, man, you made it. Like, that's how I felt every job. And I still feel that way. Like, whenever I go in, I'm like, wow. And not every single job is like, you know, but I would say 95% of the time, I'm just kind of happy to be there, you know? Yeah. Well, it's fun to work. Yeah. And I think a good attitude is the one you have right now, which is, man, am I lucky to be here. This is really cool. Like, never would have thought even, okay, this isn't, you know, the biggest budget thing in the world, but it's fun to be here. I'm going to meet some cool people, like get to try Mm -hmm. something probably a little bit new. Yeah, Great. It's fun to be at work. And that's something I consistently think when we're in a studio or whatever, it's like, man, I love being here. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone's going to like this one. I don't know when it's going to come out, but it's fun to be here. Let's try some shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you mentioned that you were writing like really young child teens. It is super cool that you're still doing that. Do you do like a lot more of writing stuff along with the voice acting? Not so much. I always say this and then friends will be like, but you know, the skits and stuff is technically writing. I'm like, I guess guess that's true. Right. But I think for me, my attitude with writing now is like, I can do it for fun, but I'm not working on anything actively at the moment. But if mm-hmm. opportunities come my way, you know, if you think I would be a good fit, I'm like, yeah, sure. If you think for me, I'm like, I'm pretty confident in my acting. I'm like, yeah, acting, sign me up. Like, I think I'll be a great pick for you. Writing, I'm like, are you sure? Like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the attitude I have with it. But I do enjoy it when I do get to do it. Like, I have friends who are writers who are like, the sheer doing it is the joy, right? Just writing, writing, yeah. writing. And while yeah. I enjoy it. Acting is where I get that for me. Yeah, it's just exercising a different creative muscle. Yeah. I think this is a good time to move on to some segments for our show. Our first segment, this is our pop culture recommendation segment. Always happens in the show. We've talked about a bunch of pop culture stuff already. That's totally fine. Yeah. Wait, we didn't we didn't introduce the show. We did not oh, introduce the guest you know or the okay. show. We didn't do that. That's a good point. <laughs> We're not editing any of this out, segment. but Thank you. Yeah, our first segment is introducing the show, everybody. This is Late Night with Brian Wecht. This is Leighton Gray. Hey, that's me. The other one was Brian Wecht. Mystery Hi. guest, whose name we totally haven't said a bunch of times. Uh, would you care to introduce yourself? Hey, uh, if you've gotten this far, just <laughs> going, we'll, we'll find out one day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Sung One Cho. Uh, you might know me also as ProCD Online. I'm a voice actor, and I also do YouTube and other stuff online. Perfect. Beautiful. Great. All right, second segment. <laughs> second right. segment. Second segment is our pop culture recommendation segment. You get to talk about whatever, book, movie, video game, music, anything. Anything you're into at the moment. The segment is called What's Poppin'? And it has mm. a very, very exciting theme song, which goes yeah. here in post. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? Okay, that was the What's Poppin' theme song. If you listen to the episode, you'll be able to hear it. Got it. So, 
Layden, what's popping? What's popping for me is that in the vein of a talking Sopranos of people from show get together to talk about show, Always Sunny Gang has been doing the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia podcast, which they just started doing video episodes. Oh, wow. It is fucking great. It's Rob McElhenney, Charlie Day, and Glenn Howerton all just barely talking about the episodes going from the beginning. <laughs> it is really a delight because I don't think I've ever like heard or seen them interact off camera. And just like the way that they are, you see the seeds of each character. Like Rob yes. McElhenney is just kind of yes. like a meathead. <laughs> yeah. Glenn Howerton is just really mad about everything. <laughs> and Charlie Day sounds like Charlie Day. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. All just like super funny. And, you know, there's something about listening to people who have known each other for like 20 plus years. There's just like a very easy rapport and they talk about creative process stuff, which I'm such a a slut for. And it's a treat. They're like 15 episodes in. I was just binging them while I was playing Civ 6 last night. And Uh, yeah, I just finished season 15. It's great. All the seasons yeah. are great. What can you say? Show's awesome. I'm like five seasons behind, um, but I will happily watch them talk about whatever. It's so good. It never gets better than Max Dance. Have you seen that yet? Oh, the newer thing. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I have not seen it. What an incredible moment in television. Just the best. The uh, crashing a car because you were eating cereal thing is based on a real thing that Glenn Howerton did. Like that's just straight <laughs> up happens. <laughs> really? Yeah, he got a a brand new car and then got into an accident and was complaining about how the interior was fucked up. They're like, wait, what happened to the interior? Well, I was eating my cereal. (laughs) So, yeah. They were just on the Good One podcast, which I've talked about on the show before, which I like a lot. I think just Charlie and Glenn. I don't think Rob was on that one. And it was exactly what you're talking about. They were just easy chemistry, really smart about their comedy to what they want to do with it how they go about it. Like there was a lot of acting talk, that sort of thing. Actually, it's some really interesting stuff about what to do when you really disagree with someone you love. Like Mm. you're in a creative partnership with someone and, you know, in their case, they were talking about Rob and they're like, sometimes you just see it your way and you're like, this is it. This is the Mm. way we got to do it. And the other person will be like, you're stupid. No, this is the way we got to do it. And then it's a conversation and, you know, and and there's no ill will. It might be a disagreement, but, you know, they also were like, sometimes we're fucking wrong and sometimes we're right. And that's just the way it goes. And you never really know. You just got to, you know, fight for what you think is right and then not push it too far. I I thought it was a really good conversation about that. Mm. Hell yeah. So that's what's popping for me. Someone, what's popping? I got two. One is I just finished reading a book called The Characters Taught Me Everything, Living Life One Episode at a Time. It's by a very legendary Japanese voice actor named Megumi Hayashibara, who I don't know if you've, you know, Cowboy Bebop. She's uh-huh. Faye Valentine in Cowboy Bebop, oh, you know. Okay. She's the lead in Paprika by Satoshi Kon, you know. Uh, oh she's God. She's been working like since the 80s and is still consistently working. She's Incredible, but it's a really interesting book. She breaks down a lot of her major roles and tells like what she learned from doing the role personally, you know, the experience of it behind the scenes. You get some really interesting insight into an industry that you don't really hear a lot about. 
behind mm-hmm. the scenes wise. I feel like you don't get this personal of a look into the Japanese voice acting industry. Right. Right. So some really great stories and also just inspiring words to hear even now, like, you know, to hear her say like, oh man, like I had to do so many retakes or I put so much work into this and nobody watched it, you know, and she's like a legend, you know, she's mm. one of the most respected. So it's like, wow, you know, she went through that. She still goes through that as an actor. It's good to hear that even the super amazing gods also go through yeah. go through yeah. the same struggles. In Japan, is it for the voice actors, for example, in comedy, there's kind of like a path. Like you go through this one place in, mm. I think it's Osaka, like, and the comedians get developed there. Then they kind of go out. But is it fairly rigid, like the path to go on for voice actors there? Do they all kind of come out of the same school or environment or something and then go on? Or are they more diverse, you know? Yeah, no, they have actual straight up voice act. They call them seiyu over there. But seiyu mm-hmm. schools, you go through actual formal courses with teachers. And that's how a lot of them get in the industry is going through that acting school and then not all of them, but some of them getting signed with agencies and and Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, no, that's the big difference in that there are schools over there for it. And the ones who get big are almost like stars, you know, they're on TV, they're, you know, releasing albums. It's a pretty big difference from like the industry over here. Yeah. And then the other thing is I just finished playing Yakuza Kiwami 2. Do either of you, play Yakuza. No, I never have. No, but I've heard very positive things. Absolutely incredible series. I've only played Zero and the first two remakes. I'm going to give you just the pitch on why you should play Yakuza. Uh, You should start with Yakuza Zero, first of all. But imagine just an extremely well-told, you know, hard-boiled Yakuza drama. Like, Uh it's really well-acted. The writing is phenomenal, and it's dead serious, but you're also doing karaoke, like doing goofy side quests. It's the perfect combination of like dead serious, great drama and absolutely hilarious just side quests and mini games. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that it doesn't feel like it has to be like, isn't this so stupid? That it says, you know, it can just be earnest in both realms and yeah, pull off great. both completely well. It's full of so many things you can do, like a lot of people, you know, including myself, will get into them. And the story's good, but you find yourself being like, mm, I'm going to play Mahjong for like six hours. Or, you know, I'm going to just, <laughs> I want to get really good at the bowling mini game or the crane game mini game. You can find yourself really absorbed in fun little activities that they fill this game with. I yeah. love that. What platform would you recommend playing it on? They're on PC. I play them on PS4. I think they're pretty much on most consoles and platforms, I think. Maybe not Switch, yeah. but everything else, yeah. Cool. Cool. Brian, what, what is popping? What's popping for me this week is I have recently, as in just the last couple of days, started rewatching a show that I loved when it was on and have not seen since, which is Fringe. Mm. Wow. So I watched every episode it was on, really enjoyed it, and then just let it sit for a while. And I was like, ah, I should get back to that eventually. I think it was really good. But, you know, now the first episode was in 2008. It's been a while. I've changed. TV has changed. Is it still good? What do you mean 2008 wasn't two years ago? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> God. It's just the fucking best. And I'm only like, I don't know, five or six episodes in. Knowing that it goes 
wild at some point. Like it starts off pretty straight ahead and then shit starts to go down. Have either of you seen the show? No. No. What's the elevator pitch? Weird events start happening and are investigated through unorthodox science. Mm, Oh, of course you like this show. Of course I like the show. So there, there are three leads and then a bunch of other, you know, incredible actors. Got Lance Reddick, who you've seen Ooh, in a million nice. things, including The Wire. Love Lance Reddick. He's got this very kind of intense face and he's so great. But occasionally like a little smirk pops through and you're like, mm. oh, you got a sense of humor. So he, he's one of the kind of ancillary characters. But the three leads are Anna Torv, Joshua Jackson. Yes, Pacey from Dawson's Creek. Wow. And my favorite, John Noble probably in his late 60s, early 70s now, Australian actor who's been in a ton of stuff. And he plays this kind of unstable science genius who was in a mental hospital for many years and kind of gets out in order to work on these new odd cases that are popping up as part of the FBI. And his delivery with everything in this show, it's just magic. Watching this guy work, he's got such an amazing, intense face. He goes from menacing to kind of daffy in just like the Mm. blink of an eye. And you never know what you're going to get or where he is. It's this incredible high wire act. Everything he does is compelling. Uh, Sometimes he's this sweet, doddering old man. And the next he's like, you know, super villain taking brains out of frogs or whatever. You know, like it's so great. And it starts off very procedural, but quickly becomes something more serialized and Mm. it's one of these things where it starts small and then the world just like blows up for a while you're like wait are they doing that are they really gonna Mm. do that and then they do it and this is consistently with the show you're like they're not actually gonna oh shit they actually did it like it's so great i really enjoy it so it's five seasons 100 episodes total very manageable size and it's on hbo HBO Max mm. oh, okay. right now also has Michael Cerveris, who is a generally a theater performer, I think, as a mysterious figure that I don't want to elaborate on that they call the observer. Fun. Yeah. And like all such shows, you know, they're making fucking 22 episodes in a season or whatever it is, you know, like ups and downs in terms of quality. But I, mean, I haven't gotten there yet. I think it's a season two episode. It's called, what is it, White Tulip, and features Peter Weller, a.k.a. RoboCop, Buckaroo Banzai, many, many other things. Art historian, trumpet player, you know, renaissance man. One of my all-time favorites as a kid. And it's up there with my, you know, like, top five episodes of TV ever. Mm, Wow. Okay. It's one of these sci-fi stories that is really beautiful uh, and emotional. To me, it is like... The Constant in Lost, which is another incredible episode of TV. That's the one where Desmond is traveling back and forth through time and is kind of unmoored. You know, it has this foundation of some sci-fi bedrock, and they tell a really beautiful story over top of it. Hmm. Brian, we need to lock you and Jory in that garage and have the two of you talk about Lost. Because anytime you talk about Lost, I am lost. Because I'll talk about Lost. Never watched it. All All right. right. The segment concluded. As we do every week, we have to say this at the end of the segment. Segment concluded. It is done. 
All right, now we're on our final segment called Peaches and Lemons, where we each share three things that are cool, fun, exciting, good, and one thing that is a minor bummer or annoyance. And I already said the name of the segment. God, I'm so good at this. Peaches and Lemons theme Mm. song, go. Got them. All right. We're each going to start with a lemon, which is a a minor annoyance. I'm ready to pop off about mine. So Yeah, squeeze that lemon. And now I don't want to, now that you've said that. I hate that if I set an alarm and it's very loud, I will Mm -hmm. be dreaming, have a dream in which I'm pissed off because there's a loud noise that I can't do anything about. And then I sleep through multiple alarms I can hear them clearly because it's enough to piss me off in a dream, but not enough to wake me up. What the fuck? And then you wake up in a terrible mood and also you overslept. So I think that's super cool that my brain will do that. And the alarm doesn't set your dog off? Oh, she doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) She reacts with visceral horror to literally every other noise, no matter how slight. To my speaking voice. Yeah, and yet to your alarm clock. Blaring. Eight alarms. Stunning. I truly don't understand it. <laughs> I just think it's bullshit that I can hear it, but not enough to rouse me from my slumber. You should get an alarm that instead of an alarm sound, sounds like maybe someone is walking by your front door. Then that would set the mm. dog off. Yeah, I'm sure that would put me in a better mood than what I'm describing. Just dog yeah. yap. <laughs> so that's my lemon. Who has lemon? I can go next. And I think I've talked about this on the show, but I can't remember. And if I have, I apologize. I recently migrated computer. I got a new desktop computer. And I am now dealing with filing like 15 years worth of files and trying to figure Mm. out how to organize them. And oh my God, it is the classic thing where why couldn't I have done this better 10 years ago and come up with a system that works? And now I am fucked. I'm in hell every day because of this, because I'm just like, well, I could move a couple more files around, I guess. And I know I have to do it. It's not hard, but it's just so annoying. (laughs) By the way, of course, no immediate payoff. Like the payoff for this is when I need to find something in three years. Immediate payoff doesn't exist. And oh, it's just so frustrating. It's this completely thankless task that I have to do. And... I just don't want to do it. So that's it. That's my woman. Beautiful. For me, extremely minor. I did a food order and maybe for one of you, you might be like, this sounds great. But for me, I was like, this is a travesty. I got a broccoli (laughs) salad, which, you know, has, you know, you know, your bacon and everything in it. Right. But it had grapes in it. Have you ever had a broccoli salad with grapes in it? You know what? I have and I hated it. I really hated it. It was like a mayo-based salad with broccoli and grapes. I don't think I've ever had a broccoli salad. Mm -hmm. What the fuck? Not a fan. I was like, what monster or what alien Mm -hmm. made this? Like, you know, a grape and like a, sometimes they're in like chicken salad or something. Sometimes, yeah. Yep. That can be good sometimes. But like broccoli salad, I don't see the purpose. Like I think when, you know, if I want a broccoli salad, I kind of want something more savory, you know, something more savory. I don't need that, like, sweet savory, which I'm usually a fan of. Mm-hmm. It's just big, juicy distractions of sweet in something <laughs> that I – big, sweet balls of distraction that I don't want in my broccoli salad. 
I totally agree with you. Also, I have to say, in general, for me, broccoli salad, broccoli has too many crannies for the mayo just to really get deep in. And there's mm. something that's kind of disturbing to me about a broccoli and mayo combination. I love mayo, love broccoli. Mm. Together, mm. I'm always a little squicked out by how deep inside the broccoli the mayo can penetrate. <laughs> you know, mm. it's just like, no, just stay on top. Stay on top of the vegetable. We'll be happier. Penetration, sweet balls staying on top. Anyway, so <laughs> I have never in my life encountered broccoli salad. <laughs> this mm. is new to me. And I'm seeing people put blueberries in it, which is fucked up. What? Are you fucking crazy? That's, that's what oh, I'm looking at right now. Way. No, that, that's, no that's a symptom of a larger problem. If you're putting fucking <laughs> blueberries in your broccoli salad. Blueberries and mayo. Mm, yummy. That's a cry for help. <laughs> I will say fruit salad in general, like fruit and mayo. I just. Yes, totally, yeah. totally correct. I don't get it. I don't get it. I agree with you. It doesn't even taste that bad or anything. I'm just, uh, it, it's weird. It's too it's on weird. Principle. Mayo is for savory. It's for savory. Yeah. I could not agree more. Mayo is for savory. Yep. Great. Amazing. So those are some very good lemons. And now we will each do peaches, which are three good, cool things. I'm just going to do mine because they're short. I was going through some bags in my closet and I found, oh my God. And I found my favorite lipstick, which I'm wearing that I had lost and I was going to hold it up. And now I can't find it. Anybody interested? This is ColourPop's Pillow Talk Lippy Sticks. And this is like six years old, so I doubt they make it anymore. But very exciting day in the Gray household. My second peach is uh, had a slumber party at Susie's over the weekend, and it was fucking tight. Just ladies' night, dishing about nasty true crime shit. And just sat there. We had snacks. It's like, I feel like a human being right now. I'm a human being. So it was good. On your way to saying nasty true crime shit, I for a second thought you were going to say NASCAR. Oh. <laughs> oh, me and the ladies love some Jimmy Johns. Is he still yeah. a person? <laughs> uh, no, I don't I know anything about NASCAR. Great. And then my last peach is that I just, I got like, just loaded up on sticky notes. They're like post-it like slightly bigger lined sticky notes. You know when you find the pen that's like the pen? Yep, like I'm going to yep. buy a ton of these. Pilot G207, blue or purple. Hmm. That's the stuff. Oh, fine, medium. What are we talking? It's not the finest. I used to do like a .005. That's like a little too scraggly for me. And then the one is just excessive. If you want to like mm -hmm. swipe, mess everything around. This .7, whatever. It's a good size. Nice. That's the stuff. So those are my peaches. When you start to write with a pen and you're like, wait, is this an extra fine tip pen? It's very distracting to me. Mm. It's too scratchy. Yeah. It makes my like shit too wobbly. Yeah. yeah. Too wobbly. That's right. I feel unease when my pen is too fine tipped. Yeah. All right. Somebody hit me with some peaches. Sungwon, you want to, you got any? I had like very <laughs> like big like, sure. Oh, no, great. that's good. No, no, it's okay. Because I, I was going to be like, oh, I'm, I'm thankful for my family. I was, who the fuck cares? No, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to say, uh, um, everyone's just going to think all I care about is different types of salads. But uh, <laughs> in the same in the same order, I ordered a macaroni salad, and it was pretty good. And that's very hard to find around here for some reason. For some uh -huh. reason, 
every macaroni salad I've had in my area is either too sweet, which yeah, drives that, me crazy. Me too. I agree. Yeah. Or too bland. For me, it's got to have like, you know, a tang, like I mean, mustardy kind of, you know, yep. tang. Or the macaroni is too, too soft, you know, mm-hmm. like I want mm-hmm. a little, you know, substance to yep. the macaroni. So it was like pretty good. Maybe the second best macaroni salad I've had in this area. And everything else has just been dog shit. So, dude, <laughs> I feel you so hard with that one because you're absolutely right. It's yeah. either like, why is this half sugar? It's yeah, so yeah. appalling. Or there's like raisins in it. I don't want raisins in my macaroni salad. Mm, yeah, like, no way. Carrots, great. Shredded carrots, awesome. Sure. Other than that, pretty minimal. The other way they go is it's like just macaroni, mayo, carrots. That's it. And you're like, guys, yeah. some seasoning. Like, spice yeah. this up a little bit. Need some seasoning, some mustard, something to yeah. give it. Something. Like, Thank you. Sour, a little bit. Yeah. You know what's pretty good, I've found, is the Ralph's pre-made Mac salad. Oh, it's, really? It's actually pretty solid. We tend okay. to get that pretty regularly. Yeah. The golden standard for me of macaroni salad was um, in college. <laughs> for those from Michigan State University listening to this, the Sparty's convenience stores on campus had the perfect, perfect macaroni really? salad. It was okay. the perfect flavor. The one thing I would buy in between classes if I like, I got to get something to eat. I would just get like one or two of those. And then they stopped making it. And I think I'm just pining for those. Like, I don't think I've had anything as good as that. So really, this it's even more inaccessible because I don't think they make, they make it anymore. So if you went to Michigan <laughs> State 2012 prior then you might remember this one food product. <laughs> Another um, peach. It was yesterday. I did a 24-hour board game charity stream. Oh, yeah. I saw you post about this, yeah. For Extra Life. We raised some money. It was great. But on a selfish note, my ELO, you know the ELO ranking in like chess mm-hmm, or like mm-hmm. things like that? Yep. So Board Game Arena, which we play the games on, has an ELO ranking for every game. And my, um, I gotta say, I... I kicked some ass in Peruto or Liar's Dice. Have either of you played Liar's Dice or know what that is? Yeah, I've played Liar's Dice, yeah. I have not. What is that? I'm very good at Liar's Dice. At one point on this website, I was in the top 10 of all the people on the site. On Board Gamer, that's something. On Board Game Arena, yeah. That's a popular site. Yeah, so I have fallen since then because I selflessly still play with my lesser ranked friends. So every now and then they'll get a victory (laughs) on me and I'll lose some points. But I have climbed back up to the 300s. Wow. What is Liar's Dice? What's the deal? Liar's Dice is a very classic bluffing game where you have five dice, you shake them in a cup, you hide them, and then people go around doing bids of like, I think there are 10 fives underneath all the cups. Well, I think there are 10 sixes. You know, you keep going up and up and up. Ones are wild. And at some point, somebody has to go, okay, I think you're full of shit. And so if they challenge the person next to them, like, I think what you just said is a lie, Everyone raises their cups. You count them. And if they were right, you lose a die. But if you were right and they were wrong, they lose a die. Mm-hmm. Just a very classic, like, bluffing, bluffing kind of game. game. Yeah. It was in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. They played it. It's like a South oh. American, like, it's been around for a long time. But right now, I am 31st on the site. Wow. Damn. That's <laughs> but at my highest, I believe I was, like, six or something like that. So Amazing. my goal is just to keep going up. And, uh, yeah, I... I uh, Pull off some pretty good wins uh, the other day. And then for me, the final one, 
on a more serious note, a friend of mine last week had a stroke. Uh, oh, and no. so it was very sudden. But the peach is that our mutual friend set up a GoFundMe and we raised money for it. And we've got it fully funded and are beyond, beyond that. That's awesome. But also just a general is that while she's not fully conscious yet, the recovery has been very positive. Great. We were very lucky. She got treatment and stuff like very quickly which is very crucial for that kind of thing. So yeah, it seems like she's recovering pretty well. So I'm just very thankful for that. And also just the support from people online, you know, like I think there are a lot of downsides to being like someone known online, as I'm sure both of you (laughs) can definitely relate to. But I'm grateful that I could use that for good. Yes. Yeah, tangibly positive thing. That's tangibly great. positive, whether it's for the board game charity stream, for raising money for a friend, for medical bills, you know, like seeing that positive force. So I'm glad there was something positive from this because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we've all had our days where we're like, man, this much exposure online and people knowing this, uh, you know, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that it can be used in positive ways. That's my last peach. How about you? Great. Peach number one, just had a lovely Sunday with the family yesterday. So me, my wife, and my seven-year-old. Uh, it had been years since we'd been to, you know, HD Buttercup, that huge furniture store in Culver City. No. Have you ever been there? So it's in the, an old bakery, and it's just this giant warehouse filled with furniture that is stupidly priced. I mean, it's just... Mm so expensive. It's ridiculous. But I was like looking for an excuse to get out of the house. And I was like, you know what? I think my kid would love running around this giant warehouse full of wild furniture. And she totally did. And (laughs) so we got some Obasubi for lunch, then Mm. ran around in a giant furniture warehouse and then stopped at a, there's a lovely little Persian ice cream place in Westwood that Mm. was kind of on the way home. So we stopped there and just had a great LA Sunday afternoon. Nice. Did she have a favorite piece of furniture? Yes. There was a chair. looked like kind of Chewbacca, like that kind Mm. of like Wookiee fur. And she would just lay on top of it and say, oh, it's so fuzzy. I love how fuzzy this chair (laughs) is. Can we get this fuzzy chair? And I was like, honey, that fuzzy chair is $2,000. So we're not going (laughs) to get the fuzzy chair, but please enjoy it in the store. It varies. The store has some legitimately cool stuff, but most of it is like, come on, guys, what are we doing here? As somebody who, in order to replace a reliance on social media, just goes on Zillow and looks at stupid, expensive houses I'll never be able to afford in my life, (laughs) there's a certain ceiling of house price in LA where immediately all furniture inside the home will be trash. And it's always like stupid pop art, like ugly (laughs) as sin, like money does not buy taste. They just go there and load up and it's like, I don't know, it's a Mickey Mouse, but it's like melting and it's (laughs) $20,000. Yeah. Well, they had a piece in this store, which was like some kind of fucking telescope or something like an old on a big kind of tripod stand, very steampunky looking 20 K. Wow. If I want a telescope, I'll go to the telescope store. Like, I don't trust you know what to do with a telescope. It was very off-putting. The idea of going to a telescope store. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So that was peach number one. Peach number two is I and my producer slash collaborator friend Jim Roach are finishing our second, actually third, I guess, uh, children's album 
And we're just locking down some last tracks and hopefully looking at a release in the next couple of months. But we've spent the better part of a year on and off writing it amidst other projects. And we're finally got it. Nice. It's a lot of fun. I love doing kids music. It's for want of a better word, easy as fuck. And <laughs> it's really fun. It's just like whatever weird fun idea you have, you just do it. The songs can be 30 seconds long. You know, it's not a five minute like rock epic. It's like <laughs> right. it was a silly song about a dog that lives in a tree. Great. Fine. Fuck. Well, let's just do it. Great. <laughs> and they're, they're really fun. From your history of kids songs. What's one you're like, yo, go listen to this one. This one fucking slaps. Like this one is. Mine or just in general? No, yours, yours. Pizza Feet fucks in terms of things that will legitimately get stuck in my head. Pizza Feet, okay. Yeah, Pizza Feet (laughs) is a good one. That was our first single. Go Banana Go is the band and Pizza Feet is the, the video. I will check this out afterwards. Thanks. Our goal is to do like actually good music too. Kids music right now. It's fucking great, honestly. Yeah. I'll tell you the other one I've been really excited about, a friend of mine sent me. Look up Dr. Dave, the music doctor, has a song called This Is a Duck, which I really, really like. I really like when like talented musicians do like kids' music. It's really interesting. Yeah. There's a band I like called Tally Hall. Oh, wow. Yeah, right? <laughs> I found that they did all the music for a show called happy monster band on playhouse disney like really (laughs) yeah like 15 years ago man getting like indie like uh rock musicians to like do children's music you get some pretty sick shit yeah the they might be giants stuff yes i was gonna say yeah yeah yeah. their kids albums are fucking great i love them we still play those around but when our daughter was really little that was like the background music on all the time because i've been a tmbg fan since i was like I don't know, 14 or something forever. Yeah. And I love their kids' music. With the stuff we write, my only rule is, here's the thing I can't stand, is the folky kind of stuff with kids' mm. music. It all just kind of sounds the same. I love a lot of folk music, but I don't need another you know, gentle mid-tempo acoustic guitar song about being nice to our friends. Like, come yeah. the fuck on. We all get it. Give us a nice mid-tempo, you know, folksy song about just being a huge dick to everyone yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. What would be a good title for that song? It's called Look Out for Number One. There we go. Great. All right. And my final peach. A while ago, I talked on the show, I was diagnosed with sleep apnea at the tender mm. young age of 46. And in order to qualify for my insurance, I had to use this fucking CPAP machine for 21 days in a row, and I did it. Oof. And I hate this thing. God, it's so annoying to sleep with this fucking thing on my face. But I was like, you know what? Power through, figure it out, do it. And I got through, as of last night, I got to the 21 days. So now my insurance will pay for it, which is great. That's very funny that you bring this up because I am about to try to start the sleep test process myself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, dude, it's so weird. (laughs) I don't know if I have sleep apnea yet. That's why I'm doing the test. But I've always been a terrible snorer. Same. My wife, it doesn't actually bother her, though. Thank God. (laughs) Otherwise, uh, it'd be more of a problem. But she's just, I think, used to it at this point. But I think there are signs that I may have it. 
And mm-hmm. I know a bunch of people who like did the CPAP and they're like, oh, like it changes everything. So I'm curious for you. One, is it as life changing as people say for you? Like, you know, do you feel more rested? No, not yet. And two, how annoying is that fucking thing? Because it looks okay. Special. So th- th- these are two sides of the same coin. Mm. First of all, I didn't think I had sleep apnea. I was just getting a sleep test because the doctor was like, oh, you should get one of these. You know, it sounds like you have trouble sleeping. Sounds like a good idea. First of all, the sleep tests, I don't understand how they read any data because I did the home one and then they had me stay overnight in the hospital and they hook you up with so much shit. It's like, how can you sleep? I'm already a bad sleeper, guys. Like, that's why yeah. I'm here. And now you want to attach, you fill me with electrodes and hang a thing around my neck. And I have to have like this pulse thing on my Jesus. finger. And I have the mask on. Okay, now go to sleep, relax. It's like, no, fuck you. You relax. You know, I can't do this. So getting that sleep test, especially in the hospital, was so weird and annoying. But mm. the CPAP machine, I have to say, when I first started it, I was like, okay. I can't do this. This is bad. Like I'm just waking up. There's a big hose that hangs off. It's really annoying. Three weeks into it, it's much, much better. And I am sleeping much better. Like what I'm not doing, I used to be flop, flop all the time. Flop, 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 turn it all the time. Turn it all the time. I'm not doing that anymore. Like I sleep on my back now and I'm pretty steady, which is much better for, I'm not, I used to sleep in my stomach and it was bad for your neck, blah, blah, all that stuff. So I'm pretty confident at this point that it's going to make a difference as I get more and more used to it, which I already have. That first week was fucking hell. Oh my God, just the worst. But now that I'm in it a bit, it's much, much better. So I'm going to reserve judgment until I've been doing it for like several months. And I think it will make a difference, but it's not fun. Before this, did you ever like in the middle of the day, just kind of like start drowsing off like at all? Not really. No. I mean, you know, occasionally, but it wasn't like a regular thing. Does that happen to you? It happens to me if I'm like really, really bored. Uh, like <laughs> Most yeah. normal people I feel like can just be bored. I don't really have trouble sleeping is a thing. I at least think that I go to bed, just go to sleep, wake up. I'm not someone who tosses and turns and can't go to bed. Yeah. Because my mom recently, she's, you know, in her 60s, she only recently got diagnosed and now she sleeps with a machine. And for her, you know, it really helped. My dad used to have one. Yeah. 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 It really helped her a lot. So she was like, you snore a lot. She and both my wife were like, yeah, you need to do it. I've been kind of dragging my feet because I Dude, don't want to use the fucking machine. I did machine. the same thing. I got the machine and I waited for a while because I was like, oh, fuck. And then I started to use it. And two days later, I got COVID. And I was like, well, now I can't breathe through my fucking nose. God damn it. The COVID was totally fine for me. Not a big deal. This is a very long story, but I did exactly the same thing because I was like, I don't want to do this. Mm. I'm optimistic that it's going to work out. But I will say, I haven't been snoring at all. Like, Mm. because the way it works, like you, you put it over your nose and then it just directs the air through the back. You know, it's not coming out of your mouth. Yeah. yeah, So because of the pressure, it just like shuts off the snoring thing pretty much entirely. Sorry, listeners, if this has turned into the sleep apnea. (laughs) Welcome to the app cast. (laughs) I think after this, I'm literally going to call the sleep test center. So it's just so interesting that it it just happened to sink this way. Is yours over your nose? Yeah, just the nose. Okay, because I tried, you know, my mom was like, try it. And I was like having an actual panic attack. Okay, it's weird. (laughs) Having it over the nose and mouth. It's a face hugger. I couldn't do it. Yeah. 
But I think having it over the nose, I don't think that would bother me that much. Putting it on is not that bad. It's like getting used to this thing on your face when you're sleeping is the weird part. Interesting. If you have questions, Leighton has you know, all my info and stuff, so I'm happy to talk about it more offline. Cool, but. cool. Sleep study buddies. Hell yeah. This would have been so smooth, like if a CPAP company <laughs> sponsored us yeah. and we could have rolled in, like that would have been amazing. But yeah, that's our that's episode. Sungwon, thank you. This was super fun. Yeah, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, this was fun. If people want to find your stuff or listen to your podcast, where can they do so? Uh, I'm on YouTube and Twitter, just ProZD, P-R-O-Z-D. If you want to see what voice acting roles I'm in, Twitter is the best way to do that. Yeah, just Google ProZD. I'm on Twitch as well, P-R-O-Z-D. That's where I am. I do have a podcast as well, ProZD Plus Pals, you know, on all the usual stuff, also on the channel. So check that out. But yeah. Yeah, we've had like a lot of guest overlap too. So folks, if you like hearing guests on this show, you should go listen to his podcast. Nice. All right, people at home. We did something last episode on our gimmick 101 episode. We did episode 101 as like teaching each other things. And at the end of the episode, gave people homework, which was basically some cop out, be nice to each other (laughs) shit. (laughs) But I want to try that again. Listeners at home, here is your homework. Oh, wow suggestions from the room. <laughs> I mean, you can Venmo me $5 if you're <laughs> listening to that. Try something new. That's my advice. That's your homework. Try something new. Do something outside your comfort zone. I'll say, um, think about something that makes you happy creatively and just do it at least once this week. Great. You know, just do it and have fun with it. I'm going to say that thing that you've been putting off forever that's going to be really quick for you to do, you just don't want to do it, just do it today. Just get it over with. That's me calling the sleep center right after yeah. this. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to get off this call and immediately ignore my own homework. So F <laughs> for Layton. All right, everybody at home, on our desk, next Friday, minute on Friday, double space, Times New Roman, point twelve font. No, I'm not saying the come thing this ALA, time. A citation. Yep, that's right. All the usual stuff. Actually, C-U-M citation. All right, that's the end of the episode. See you all. (laughs) Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com.